Good morning, church family. Our scripture reading for today comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 24. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent his word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It is good to see you. And just want to say again, as, as we begin our time uh, diving into the word, just want to say to you moms, happy Mother's Day. We are so thankful for you. Uh, the role of mom, that responsibility is one that has great privilege and great sacrifice, and we know it will. Uh, and I think we could probably all in the room say we wouldn't be who we are today if it wasn't for our moms. And so we just want to honor you and say thank you to you this morning. And I also just want to recognize uh, for some of you in this room, today's a hard day. Uh, maybe you've lost a mother. Maybe you don't have a good relationship with your mother. There's brokenness that's there. Maybe you long to be a mother, and God's just not allowed that to happen. And so as we come into days like today, we celebrate, but we also recognize that there's a heaviness that can come uh, with Mother's Day, too. And so we just want you to know, if you're in that camp, we pray with you and for you this morning, and we are glad that we get to worship alongside of you today. And as we think about moms, one of the things that, that I found growing up, and now that I am a dad, has become a priority, 
is that mom can't be ignored, right? Or shouldn't be ignored. That was one of the things growing up that my dad especially just ingrained into me is you don't mess with mom, you listen to mom, you respond to mom, you don't ignore mom. Some of the times I got in most trouble as a child because I was not listening or responding to mom. And now that I am a dad and I have kids, that's a common phrase. I was talking about this with uh, one of my mentors, and he was saying that when his boys were younger, he had four boys, and he would show up at the house, and the boys would come running out to him and say, Dad, Mom has that look in her eye. And he said he would pull the boys in close, four of them say, I don't know which of you knuckleheads caused this, but I'm going to my office, and it's every man for himself until that happens. So you guys are going to have to figure this out on your own. You need to respond to your mother. And and that's a great setup, not just because this is Mother's Day, but as we come into this text this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about responses to Jesus. And what we see this morning, and, and this is our big truth as well as this, that Jesus demands a response. Jesus cannot be ignored. You can't stay neutral with Jesus. Jesus demands a response. Every human being must respond to Jesus Christ. And as we come into Matthew 11, we're going to see this abundantly clear this morning and over the coming weeks. And in Matthew 10, as we've been walking through, Jesus lays out what it means to be a disciple. He calls the 12 to himself and then lays out what does it mean to be a disciple. We've talked about the cost of discipleship. We've talked about what true saving faith looks like as Jesus addresses those issues. And then as we come this morning into Matthew 11, we read in verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went out from there to teach and preach in their cities. So Matthew pauses the narrative to talk about discipleship, and now in Matthew 11 we're jumping back into kind of the story of Jesus' life, the story of Jesus' ministry. And from chapter 11 until we get to chapter 16, we're going to repeatedly see this theme of responses to Jesus. And this morning's text centers on John the Baptist, it also centers on these cities, Uh, But as we look at these responses to Jesus, we want to ask one another, and this is what the text is compelling us to ask the question is, what is your response to Jesus? What is my response to Jesus this morning? And we can see this truth throughout this text. Let me just highlight a few verses. The first one is Matthew 11, 6. Jesus says this, and this is really the hinge verse of our text this morning. Blessed, thinking about beatitudes, it's that same language from Matthew 5. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, almost everyone is going to be offended by Jesus. That you're going to be offended by him, or you're going to not be offended by him. But there's no neutral, there's no stasis. Jesus can't be ignored. You're going to respond in offense, or you're going to respond in choosing to follow in obedience. At the end of the passage, verse 20, it says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Why? Because they did not repent. Well, what is repentance? A response. And so for those who do not respond to Jesus in repentance, Jesus begins to condemn these cities, these groups of people who've seen his mighty works that he's been present in, but they have not, not just listened to him or accepted him, but they did not repent and turn and follow him. Jesus demands 
a response. And ultimately, this will lead up to a climax in Matthew 16, where Jesus is going to directly ask an incredibly important question to the disciples. And it's the question that all of us in this room must answer. And here's the question. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And here's the question. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Everyone must answer that question. Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a myth. He was a prophet. Or he's the son of God. Jesus demands a response. And not just a general kind of, well, I believe this or I think this, but no, a response of our lives to him. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to just kind of walk back through this text together and I want to highlight some of the common responses to Jesus. What are common responses to Jesus that we see in this text, in this passage this morning? And here's the first one. This is our first big idea. Doubt is a common response to Jesus. Doubt is one of the common responses to Jesus. If you have your copy of the word, look at verse 2. Now, when Jesus heard, or when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, that's an important word, the Christ. Matthew's tipping his hand as to who he believes Jesus is. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So John the Baptist, and we'll find out more about the backstory in Matthew 14. It goes into detail, but we knew back in Matthew 4 that John had been imprisoned. Again, in a couple chapters, we'll find out why in the circumstance. But in the timeline of things, John has been in jail for probably, or in prison for about a year now. And this man who was preaching and proclaiming uh, repentance for sins and baptizing people and He got to baptize Jesus himself, and we can remember what John had done, and all these people were coming to him, and John's proclamation. And now John's wondering, is Jesus really the Messiah? The response by John the Baptist through his disciples is one of doubt. Jesus, are you really the person I thought you were? Are you really the Messiah that I called people to follow, and this is important. It should create tension in the readers. We go through this passage that the passionate prophet from Matthew three, who was preaching repentance, proclaiming the coming of Jesus, who said he was unworthy to baptize them, who was in the water when God the Father opened heavens and spoke audibly, when the Holy Spirit came down, descended on Jesus like a dove. That John is now unsure who Jesus is. There's doubt. And this should create tension for us. How could John the Baptist, who Jesus will later go on this passage and say is the greatest woman ever to be born, or greatest man ever to be born of woman uh, in history, how could he doubt Jesus? It's also meant to cause pause. This is a warning that maybe the perceptions we have about Jesus aren't true. John had an idea of what Jesus' ministry would look like, of what he would do, and Jesus was not meeting those expectations that John had. Friends, that's a good 
pause for us this morning. Maybe some of the things that you expect about Jesus, your perceptions of Jesus, are they real? Are they true? Or have they just been created by this Christian subculture that we have in the South? But also this response of doubt by John, I hope for some, if not many in this morning, I hope it actually causes some encouragement in your heart. That if you are one who struggles with doubt in your faith, you are not alone. John the Baptist was there. You're not alone in your doubts. John the Baptist, the prophet, the promised Elijah, who we just read about, the most important man to be born of a woman, meets you in those doubts. Doubt is a common response to Jesus. So let me just give some points of application when we think about doubt, because doubt can be tricky for us, and a lot of times we feel guilty with our doubts, so we'll feel condemned or condemn others with our doubts. The first thing that's important to note is that doubt is a normal part of the Christian life. That when we actually read through Scripture, we see people like Elijah and like John the Baptist and like Moses. They, they wrestled with doubt. You can read through the Psalms. You can see doubt within these Psalms of lament that are there. Doubt is not unbelief. Doubt is a part of faith. And that's a really important distinction, distinction to make. Doubt comes with faith. Doubt is not unbelief. The Bible pits faith and unbelief against one another. When you do not believe in Jesus, that's not doubt. That's unbelief. And that's the sin that we're condemned by until we come to faith. Is our unbelief in Jesus. But as long as we have faith, we are going to struggle with some doubts. John MacArthur pastor and theologian commenting on this passage talks about that you can't have doubt unless there's something to have doubt in. That faith is the precedent. It comes before any ability for us to have doubt. So if you're here this morning and you're a Jesus follower but you have some doubts and you wrestle and you struggle with some of those things, know that you're not alone and that's not abnormal that Jesus meets us there. A second application that's really important is we need to recognize some of the common sources of doubt. So if we're going to fight against our doubts, if we're going to speak truth to our doubts, we have to recognize what are some of the sources that, that cause doubt within us. And we see three in this text. One is difficult circumstances. John's in prison. Life's not going well. He proclaimed the truth and got locked up because of it. Difficult circumstances create doubt to God's goodness. A second common source or unmet expectations. John, like many other people, thought Jesus' ministry would look different, that he would come, that he would remove Roman oppressors, that he would come and bring judgment on the unrighteous, and it didn't seem like he was doing any of those things. And often in our Christian life, as we follow Jesus, the reason why we begin to have doubts is we have expectations for what Jesus is going to do in us, what Jesus is going to do around us. Those expectations don't get met, and we are left standing with what do we do with that? But a third common source of doubt is this. It's limited perspective. Limited perspective. We only see in part. And we forget that God sees the whole story. See, John can only see the past year he's been in prison. And it seems like Jesus' ministry isn't going the way he thought. He can't see the grand scope of what's happening and this is why Jesus calls John's disciples and John to look back to open their eyes to see what is happening 
around them. Which leads to just a third point of application really quickly is that we must choose right responses to doubt. If you're wrestling with doubt or you have someone in your life you're counseling who's struggling with doubt, we need to choose right responses to face our doubts. Let me give you a few from this text. The first one is this. Set your gaze on Jesus. When you're doubting, set your gaze on Jesus. This is what Jesus says to do. Verse 4, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. So tell him what you see. And that word to see will appear four times in these next five verses. And anytime we're going through scripture and you see a word repeated again and again and again, the author's using that to point our eyes to see something. And it's this word see. What did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? And this word hear. Blessed is he who has ears to hear. And what is he to see and what is he to hear? Well, this is what Jesus said. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the climax of all of it is this, and the poor have good news preached to them. And that word poor, it's the same word we see at the beginning of Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor, the spiritually bankrupt. Those who are spiritually bankrupt have received good news. And so in John's doubt, Jesus says, look at me, look at my ministry, look at what I've done. And Jesus is calling John to remember the promises made about him. Let me give you one, Isaiah 64, 1, which says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Same word. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Jesus is saying, this is exactly what I'm doing. Bringing the good news to the poor. Binding up the brokenhearted. The deaf can hear. The blind can see. The dead are raised to life. Lepers are cleansed. I am doing what I came to do. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. And so when we wrestle with doubt, we look at Jesus. We look at who he is and what he has done. To draw our hearts back second right response to doubt that we see in this passage is to submit to God's plan. Submit to God's plan. Verse 6, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. So John is offended by Jesus. He's not being the kind of Jesus he expected him to be. And Jesus replies, blessed is the one who doesn't, who's not offended by me. The one who trusts me. The one who submits to me. The one who yields to my plan even when you can't see it or understand it we choose to submit choosing to not be offended means to choose to accept the offensive nature of the gospel as something that's good to us and then a third right response is this secure our identity to god and his kingdom when you doubt anchor your identity not in your circumstances not in what you feel in that moment but to God and his kingdom. If you have your passage written just look, or with you, just look at this. Um, he says, Truly I say to you, verse 11, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? It means that 
John the Baptist represents the last of the Old Testament prophets. And we don't have time to unpack it, but you can read through this text. You can see how Jesus positions him that way. And so he's saying that John the Baptist, like all the other Old Testament prophets, they came before the coming of Jesus, before the message of Jesus, before the kingdom of heaven was breaking in. He's saying they believed in faith, and yet they hadn't seen Jesus crucified and risen again. But guess what, friends? You and I have. You and I have. That's why you can be least in the kingdom of heaven, but greater in John, because you've experienced the saving power of the gospel in a way that John didn't get to experience. So we anchor our identity and our security not in what's going on around us or even what's going on within us, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Doubt is a common response to Jesus. Let's move on to a second one. Opposition is a common response to Jesus. Opposition. Look at verses 12 through 15 with me this morning. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence or has come violently. So from John the Baptist coming until this point in Jesus' ministry, the kingdom of heaven, God's righteous rule and reign, breaking in on planet earth, has experienced violence. It's coming violently. And violent men take it, and the violent take it by force. What's Jesus talking about? Opposition. Opposition. That Jesus' message about the gospel coming, the good news of God's kingdom breaking in, repentance of sin, faces opposition. It brings opposition. It's pushing back the darkness. So there is a direct assault on the prince of darkness by the coming of the kingdom of God, but also receives opposition. Jesus is being rejected. John has been thrown in prison. Pharisees are teaching against the ministry of Jesus. Friends, if we are going to follow Jesus, you are going to face opposition. And as we've seen over the last few weeks, if we are faithfully proclaiming the gospel, opposition is going to come. And so if there is no opposition in your life or my life, we are not faithfully proclaiming the gospel. I was talking to Pastor Daniel the other week, and I was just sharing about a couple people in my life who uh, have just been pushing against this truth in my life and how it's been hard as I share the gospel with them. He looked at me and he said, what do you expect? What did you expect? This is what Jesus said would happen. Opposition is a part of the Christian life, and opposition is against Jesus in his ministry. So let me just give you a couple points of application. The first one is this. The Christian life is a life of opposition. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to face opposition, but also you are going to be an opponent to the darkness around you. It is a life of conflict. Or to use the words here, it's a life of violence. There is no safe Christian life if you're going to follow Jesus faithfully. Secondly, and I think this is the the thing that's insidious, it's tricky for us this morning. Point of application is this. When we try to build our kingdom instead of God's kingdom, we become opponents to the gospel. There's probably no one in this room who would say, man, I am an opponent to Jesus. I'm against that guy. Friends, when we build our lives on anything other than Jesus' kingdom and righteousness, we become opponents to the gospel. 
If you give your heart, you give your soul, you give your time and your energy to building your career, you will become an opponent to the kingdom of God. Because you're not building his kingdom, you're building yours. If you set your life around parenting and giving your children the best shot at success that you possibly can and every ounce of your effort and energy is poured into that, mother, father, you will become an opponent to the kingdom of God. You will begin fighting against the soul of your children, not for the soul of your children. That's why parent commissioning is so important, why we call it out, is we're calling parents to reorient their lives, not around their kids, not about their career, their education, but the gospel. And I'm afraid that for some of us, we've bought into the lie of the American dream. We've bought into the lie of the cultural pressure around us. And we've started building our lives for ourselves around our own identity. And we are setting ourselves up against the kingdom of God. Be warned. You will face opposition as a child of God. Or you will become an opponent to God. And this is why Peter warns us and James warns us. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Don't become an opponent to Almighty God. Opposition is a common response to Jesus. Let's look at a third one. Indifference is a common response to Jesus. Indifference is a common response to Jesus. And this might be one of the most dangerous ones within the church today. Verse 16, Jesus says this, But what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling their playmates. We played the flute for you and did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. A time of rejoicing, a time of mourning. Verse 18, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man, Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Here we see the response of opposition. Or, I'm sorry, indifference. We just looked at opposition. Indifference. John comes and they excuse his ministry away. John's too radical. He must be demon-possessed. We're going to ignore him. Jesus comes. Well, Jesus is too relational. He hangs out with all the wrong people. He doesn't care about the law enough. We're just going to ignore him. This is a warning for you and a warning for me. Indifference to Jesus is a common response. Apathy is a common response. It's just not being moved, not caring, not engaging. And it's one that Jesus condemns in this passage. Jesus and John both came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and yet they were both ignored. This is a warning for us. A couple thoughts of application. One, indifference and apathy are one of the greatest sins in the church. Friend, if you're here and you come to worship every week, and you sit in that pew, and you hear the gospel sung, you hear and see the prayers of the saints. You, you hear and listen to the word of God preached to you and read to you. If something doesn't move you in your heart and you stand again and again and again, you just come in, woe to you. Beware. And here's the examples that Jesus 
escape. Could you imagine going to a wedding? Let's say you don't even know the bride or groom. And you're in this room, there's a wedding going on, and it's that moment. The groom is down front, the bride enters in the back. And what does everybody do? Look at him, look at her, look at him, look at her. I don't care who you are, whether you know them or not, when you see the groom first set his eyes on his bride for the very first time, something in your heart blows up just a little bit, right? Like, I'm a very, uh, tend to be a not very emotional person if you've ever hung out with me. I'm an introvert, kind of just the same all the time. Uh, Even in that moment, you know, my eyes start to fill up with tears a little bit. Like, it's just a beautiful moment. Or imagine going to a funeral, and maybe you don't even know the family. Maybe you don't even know the deceased. But when you're in the room and you see the family mourning and weeping over the loss of their loved one, there's something in your heart that begins to break. And these are the two examples Jesus gave. There's a moment of celebration, but you did not dance. There was a song of weeping and lamentation, but you did not mourn. You were not moved. Woe to us if we do not respond to the gospel. Not responding to this good news this morning, not feeling conviction, not feeling repentance, not feeling a desire to praise and worship Jesus. If you can just sit here and listen and walk out unmoved, friends, you are responding in indifference to the gospel. It should be a warning for us. Beware. Second point of application is this. Faithfulness matters more than perception. Faithfulness matters more than perception. We need to hear that in today's culture where there's so much comparison, there's so much on social media and online. Look at what Jesus says. Yet wisdom is justified by what? Her deeds. Wisdom is not justified by what people think about you or say about you, but by the way you live your life. What's the difference between this and indifference? Indifference equals inaction. Jesus is saying faithfulness, wisdom centered around God will always produce fruit. Faithfulness leads to action and obedience every single time. And so if you are walking through the Christian life unmoved, unchanged, just showing up, going through the rhythms, unaffected, Beware. The gospel does not have your heart. Be warned. The gospel does not have your heart. Indifference is a common form of response. Let me give you one more. Rejection. Rejection in the form of unrepentance is a common response to Jesus. Rejection in the form of unrepentance. This is verse 20 through 24. Jesus begins to talk about these cities and these cities that he names are the cities that he's been doing miracles in. Chorazin, Bethsaida, this is where he's been doing his public ministry. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are being raised up, and yet they do not repent. In Capernaum, the the main space where Jesus has been doing the majority of his public ministry, look at what he says, you will be exalted to the heavens. What's he talking about? Pride, arrogance. They think they are above the message of Jesus. He says, no, you will be exalted to the heavens. No, you will be brought down to Hades, to hell itself. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, go back, think Genesis, this wicked, evil city that God destroyed. If these works had been done there, 
they would have remained till this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment when Jesus comes again to the land of Sodom than for you. Friends, this is a warning to us. Those of us who've been around the gospel, we've heard the gospel, we've heard the good news, we've had access to it. Friends, if we don't turn from our sin and turn from Jesus, Jesus is saying woe to us. That our posture is one of rejection. It's unbelief. Turning from Jesus, pursuing our own way. What is our response? How, what is the application? Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus. Don't just feel bad. Don't just feel guilty. But turn. Reject your sin. Run to Christ. Be warned. The Christian life is meant to be one of constant repentance. And that only begins to happen when we begin to see ourselves as Matthew 5. And now Matthew 11 says we begin to see ourselves as poor. Spiritually bankrupt, impoverished in need of Christ. The four responses this morning that we see, doubt, opposition, indifference, rejection. Let me ask another question very quickly. Why is Jesus offensive? Why is Jesus offensive? Why is he so offensive to us? Why are these common responses for us? Why does Jesus say, Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Let me give you a big idea. Jesus is offensive because following him means death to self. Jesus is offensive to us because following him means death to self. We read this last week, Matthew 10, 38. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Which leads us to one final question we'll close on this morning. What is your response to Jesus? What is your response to Jesus? I just want to read this verse again. I think we'll have it on the screen. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Brothers, sisters, friends, what is your response to Jesus? Is it doubt or belief? Opposition or allegiance? Indifference or devotion? Rejection or repentance? How will you respond? Cannot stay neutral to Jesus. So we're, as a time of response this morning, we're, we're not going to sing, we're not going to move around. I just want to create some space for you just to be able to consider your own heart invite you to bow your head, close your eyes, make your seat an altar, and just consider these things this morning. What is your response to Jesus? And even with your head bowed there, just praying before the Holy Spirit this morning, I would just ask you, do you have doubt this morning? Do you have doubt? John the Baptist had doubt. Doubt is normal part of the Christian life. The question is this, what are you doing with your doubt? What are you doing with your doubt? Are you taking it back to Jesus? Are you submitting what's going on in your life to him? Are you securing your identity back into the kingdom? Are you letting your doubt rule your life? And if that's you, this is an opportunity to repent and to return.
Is your life in opposition to the building of the kingdom of God? Or is it helping advance the kingdom of God? Are you opponent to Christ? Or are you facing opposition because you're living for Christ? Have you fallen into the trap of indifference and apathy? You're just not moved anymore. You hear it, you see it, you're around it, but it doesn't change you. And are you walking in repentance? Day by day, turning and following Jesus, turning from sin, hoping in him. The good news, brothers and sisters, this morning is this, is that Jesus has made a way for you to repent and to follow him. You can be blessed this morning, not be offended by Jesus, not because the gospel somehow loses its offensive nature, but because Jesus is better than the offense. So I just want to invite you in this moment to just give your heart and your life back to Jesus, not in the form of some sort of just miracle prayer, but just in this moment, just to repent and return again. Lord, I need you. Holy Spirit, we just come and we pray. These are heavy words from Jesus this morning. Just pray you'd help us to see rightly. Help us to see our doubts rightly. Help us to see whether or not we're living as opponents. Help us to see indifference and apathy. Help us to see whether we are rejecting or repenting. And I think so much of the time we think, well, I'm not rejecting. I may not be repenting. I'm somewhere in between. And this morning you just remind us again, there's no in-between. We are repenting and returning or we're rejecting the gospel. And I just pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that they would turn from sin and trust in you. I just pray for anyone in here this morning who their life they've never known you these things have never been true of them lord i pray this morning you'd open their eyes to see blessed are those who see and hear i ask that you give them eyes to see and ears to hear the truth they would respond to you in obedience and faith and it's in jesus name we pray amen